Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Of the way, I'm very excited tonight. You know what time it is. It is time for the book of Ephesians part two. This is part two. I'm on my endless journey to preach every verse in the New Testament on live stream. That's the journey, guys. We've done the book of Acts. We've done the entire book of Romans. We've done the entire book of Revelation. All of them are on a playlist on the channel. Now we're in Ephesians. We have this week and then probably one more week and we'll be done with it. Oh, and let me mention tomorrow night, we have David Lynn on. I forgot to say that. Do not miss that. Tomorrow night, David Lynn will finally be on the podcast. You don't want to miss that. Six o'clock tomorrow, live here. David Lynn will be with us. He just got his YouTube channel. I think it's getting taken down. He has three strikes and all of his channel's videos have been removed. He'll be talking to us about that tomorrow. So that's all new happening right now. You don't want to miss tomorrow. But we are in part two of Ephesians. Uh, This is, again, my journey to do the entire New Testament One thing that's frustrating to me is all these people that, oh, Isaiah's false teacher, Isaiah's this. They never even mention I teach verse by verse. I'm like, give me some credit. I've done 30 hours now. What has it been? 16, 20, about 28 hours of verse by verse teaching, but we don't hear about that. But here we are. We're going to do it. I do believe this. I said it last week. Without the Bible, there will be no revival. We need the word of God. Just like the last book we did, which was Romans. Paul is the author of the book of Ephesians. His audience is believers in the area of Ephesus, hence why it's named the book of Ephesians. I'm going to be using the New King James, and here's what I want to encourage you guys to do. Get excited about this. I know a lot of you aren't, a lot of people don't jump on because it's not something flashy about like deliverance or about whatever a celebrity is doing, but I want to tell you these teachings are so important, the most important, because these are straight word for word, the Bible, and I want you to join along with your Bible, get your kids, get your family. This is Bible study format. Make it fun. Make it exciting for your family. Make it exciting for your kids to get on here, to go through the scripture. It's going to be an amazing time. We're going to start in chapters three. I'm not going to take a long intro like I did last week. We're going to jump right into chapter three. If you're just jumping on, it's okay. You don't have to go back to part one. You can jump on with us. Part two, be excited. Open up your Bible. Take notes. How many of you know the New Testament is the notes of the disciples? The disciples took notes. We have mods in the chat, so whoever's trolling, it's okay. We'll sniff you out and kick you out. Praise the Lord. But we are on chapter three, so let's open up to Ephesians chapter three. I'm reading the chat as I preach as well. Chapter three, verse one says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus for you Gentiles. So what's interesting is Paul at the time of writing this is imprisoned in Rome while writing this. Yet Paul says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. In other words, he's making it clear. I am not a political prisoner. And that might be what people thought because Rome had had, had Paul captive at the time. But Paul's saying, listen, I'm not a polis- political prisoner. I am a prisoner for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm a prisoner to Christ. He became a prisoner of Christ when Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Now he's no longer, think about this chap, captive to man, but he's captive to God. In other words, God owns me. God controls me. God is my life. Isaiah Saldivar is a prisoner of Christ. I am bound to the calling that Jesus has given me. I'm bound to the purpose of spreading the gospel to every person. My life is 1000% about Jesus. I have no other purpose in life. I have no other life goal. Literally at this point, literally in the chat, my only purpose 
is to serve Christ. And the, and the reality is this, we are all prisoners of something. We are all captive or captivated by something. Some of you, maybe you're prisoner of your job. Hello. Maybe you're prisoner to a relationship. Maybe you're captive to social media. Maybe something in your life has put you. Maybe you're a captive to shame. Maybe you're a prisoner of guilt, of condemnation. Maybe you're a prisoner of addiction. But here Paul is saying, I am a prisoner of Christ. The Christian chooses to be bound to Christ. The Christian chooses to be captivated and to be captive to Christ, who is our God and King. So we're all serving. If you're a Christian, you are serving a life sentence. Let me say that again. You'll get that on the car ride home. You're serving a life sentence. Christ has given us life. He's given us power. He's given us purpose. And even though he's imprisoned by Rome, he realizes that God is going to bring good out of the bad. This is what the God that we serve does. Come on, get excited as he works all things out together for our good. Whatever bad situation you're going through right now, I want you to realize that God can and God will and God does turn it into something amazing. Have you thought about the bad situations in life? In fact, let's make this clear. Many of you are only Christian because the devil led you to salvation. What do you mean? The devil walked Jesus to the cross. In the devil thinking he was going to defeat Jesus, he played into the hand of God. And many people, they're literally led to come to Jesus because of what the enemy has done. People say, I was so depressed. I ended up going to church because I was so depressed and I found Christ there. I was suicidal. I ended up going to church and I found Christ there. So in other words, what the devil meant for bad by depress putting depression on you, putting anxiety on you, putting fear on you, putting suicide on you, the devil meaning it for bad actually, he didn't realize was leading you to the foot of the cross. Now I know they're gonna take this video and clip it out of context and say, Isaiah says the devil leads people to Christ. No, what I'm saying is the issues that we go through in life, a lot of the times, bring us to the cross like many of you are saying in the chat bring us to salvation make us realize the devil does not care about you the devil does not love you he wants to still kill and destroy and absolutely obliterate and ruin your entire life and christ says i've come to give you life and i've come to give you life more abundantly i've come to give you joy i'm telling you this is prophetic somebody needs to hear this tonight i've come to give you joy i've come to give you purpose in fact i just want to say this because i hear the holy spirit saying this that this is not your destiny to live this life of depression this is not your destiny to live this life of addiction and brokenness and pain. Maybe that's what you're going through right now. Paul was imprisoned when he's writing this. But I want to tell you this, just because the devil's wrote a chapter doesn't mean he's written your book. And he might be writing one page, but he's not the author and he's not the finisher of your faith that God will in Jesus name have the final word and that whatever you're going through right now, God is going to somehow, how does he do it? I don't know. That's the beauty of God is we don't have to understand it. He has the ability and the power to turn it around for your good. Even the bad things, the death of Jesus was the plan of God. The enemy thought he won. The devil is a loser, literally. The devil's literally a loser because what he thought was going to be a victory was actually his greatest defeat, Ephesians. So Paul says, prisoner of Christ. I, that's what I want to be, guys. I want to be a slave of God a prisoner of Christ. I don't want to be known as, oh, Isaiah is a prophet. Isaiah is an apostle. Isaiah is a pastor. Isaiah is a teacher. I know maybe some people want to be known as that. Praise the Lord. God bless. It's okay to be that way. I want to be known as a prisoner of Christ where people say he's a slave of God. His life is controlled by Christ. Everything he does is to serve, to honor, and to bring glory to Jesus, not to himself, not to what he's doing, but to what God is doing through him. I want that to be my life. I want that to be the aim of my life. I am a prisoner of Christ. Ephesians 
Ephesians 3, verse 2. If indeed you've heard of, you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. So he says, you've heard of this. This is a dispensation. Paul is amazed. This is what Paul's amazed at, how God has used him in this unique ministry to bring salvation to the Gentiles. Remember when Paul was a Pharisee, he wouldn't have given a single thought to wanting the Gentiles to know God. Paul didn't care about the Gentiles knowing God. They were unclean and dirty. In fact, they were considered uncircumcised and they were called by the Jews dogs. They were considered worthless. And Paul's ministry now is to communicate the truth of eternal life to those that he considered dogs. He's now been given this dispensation. Think about that. The Gentiles were the people Paul spent his life looking down on. Now he says, and he said this before, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. He says, God gave me this dispensation of grace that I might give it to them. So let me just warn you, all of you in the chat, be careful who you look down on. Be careful what groups you think are too dirty or too unqualified, or maybe those people aren't worthy of the grace of God because those might be the very people that you don't even realize God is calling you to. I want to go and preach to the wild ones. I want those that have never been church, that don't know the gospel to hear, hear the word. I'm not looking to recycle lukewarm Christians. I'm not looking for so-and-so Joe Schmo down the road. I want those that are wild, that don't like God, that don't want to serve God to preach to them and to reach them. Now, when Paul says dispensation, he's describing his responsibility, don't get confused, to distribute the grace of God to the Gentiles and to others. His goal is, I'm called to manage the grace of God well. So the question for us tonight would be, how am I managing the grace of God that I've been called to distribute to others? We have been called to steward the grace of God and distribute it to those that don't have it. Like I think about sometimes people say, what about the starving people in Africa or in India? And I always think about what about the starving people that sit in the pew on Sunday morning and get a watered down gospel every Sunday? What about those people that have never heard about the power of God, that have never heard that Jesus is real and alive? All those Christians that never knew they could be healed, they can be delivered, they can be born again. What about the starving people in the American church? So we've been called to steward the grace of God. So are you a good steward of the grace of God. Because if you are called to be a steward, that's to take care of something, and you distribute something, then that means I can't just sit around and go, well, I mean, if, it, if God wants me to do it, then God wants me to do it. No, God has called me to distribute his grace. Paul didn't say God's gonna do it. God said God, Paul says God has called me to distribute the grace of God. So I wanna be a distributor, not a gossiper. Come on, I wanna be a distributor. Some of you, you knew how to distribute drugs. You knew how to distribute poison. You knew how to distribute gossip. Some of us are really good at distributing gossip and distributing our bitterness and our anger and our envy. We knew real good how to distribute lust and everything else. Now that we're Christians, we just keep our mouth shut and like, hey, if God's gonna do it, God's gonna do it. And God says, be a distributor of the grace of God. Ephesians 3, three through six. How that by revelation, he made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and his prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. I know it sounds complicated. It's not. I'm going to share this with you guys. So Paul says this, God revealed to him the mystery of the Jews and Gentiles coming together together 
from the church, which is the, to form the church, which is the body of Christ. Here's the mystery that God had planned long ago to join the Gentiles and the Jews, which would create the body of Christ. So no longer will the Jews and the Gentiles be enemies, but now they are going to be on the same side. If you don't know, the church was formed at the beginning at Pentecost, even before Paul was converted. And although it was accepted, knowledge in the Old Testament that Gentiles would receive salvation. So there was Old Testament prophecies that the Gentiles would come to salvation. The concept was never talked about in the Old Testament. I'm sorry. The concept of the church was never talked about in the Old Testament until the New Testament came. So Paul was saying this mystery, this church that God is going to build is a new idea. God's disclosed this new revelation to me and Paul wants to make sure that the Gentiles understood the new revelation and that is their importance as members in the body of Christ it's not Jew superior it's not Gentile superior God's mystery that he revealed to Paul was that the Jews and the Gentiles were going to come together and we're going to form the church this would be not an exclusive church but an inclusive church, meaning it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter how much you make per year. It doesn't matter what past mistakes you made or how good you think you are, how good you think you were. The kingdom of God is not a gated community. The kingdom of God is not shut off to certain people groups. The atheist is welcome. Come on, where are you guys at tonight? The Buddhist is welcome. The Muslim is welcome. The prostitute is welcome. The gang member is welcome. The school teacher is welcome. The Satanist is welcome. The drunkard is welcome. The witch, the warlock, it doesn't matter. No one is out of reach. Nobody is too bad for the grace of God. No one is too far to be disqualified from the grace of God. When you come to him, he changes you that's a mystery right there he does the work he transforms you transforms you you don't stay the same once you encounter his power and his presence so you might come that way but you don't stay that way you might come a drunkard but you don't stay a drunkard you might come a fornicator but you don't stay a fornicator you might come addicted but you don't stay addicted and the church teaches just come stay the same we'll call goats sheep and we'll get you to learn to talk like a sheep, act like a sheep, but you're never truly converted. And Jesus says, there's a born again experience that you have where your life changes, where you are born again, the old you dies, behold, all things are made new. This is the gospel that Jesus preached. And there is real power, meaning nobody's excluded. Nobody's kicked out. This is for everybody. We're not some clique. We don't have like certain groups where you have to be this way. You don't get clean to come to God. You come to God and God cleans you up by the power of his spirit, by the blood of Jesus. You can now boldly come before the throne of grace. We've been what somebody. Hello, where are you guys? Get excited about this. I've been washed by the blood of the lamb. I've been redeemed. That means I've been bought back from the powers of darkness. I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I am a new creature, a new species. I'm not a dog any longer. Girls say, well, all men are dogs. Guys that are not Christian are dogs. And so are women. We are all dogs when we're sinners. The Bible says a sinner is like a dog that goes to his vomit and then spits up and then eats it and then vomits and then eats it. The Bible says a a sinner is like a pig that gets washed just to go back to the mud. So yes, all men who aren't saved are dogs. All women who aren't saved are pigs and dogs. But here's the beauty. Here's the beauty. You can be born again. You become a new creature. The Bible says you are a new creature, species, creation. Oh, 
Come on, Holy Ghost, in Christ. And that's something to get excited about. Why are you shouting? Why aren't you? Why are you excited? Why, why is it weird to be excited? Why do you guys get shocked? Why is your pastor so afraid that I'm excited, I'm screaming, and I'm passionate? Man, we've, we've gone so long with this passionless, ungrateful Christianity. Somebody comes along, along excited. When, mm -mm. when has excitement become a sin? I, I was looking at recently somebody who made a video on me, of course. Welcome to the club. Get in line if you want to make videos on me. And I was like, okay, so apparently I'm a false teacher because I believe in some secondary doctrine that's not even salvific. But I, okay, let's see the comments. What are the comments going to say? If I'm a false teacher and there's 500 comments on this video, why am I a false teacher? I want to learn. I want to see why they're calling me a false teacher, okay? Which, by the way, this doesn't bug me at all, but I'm curious. So I go through the comments. Friend, out of five, I didn't go through 500, but out of 500 comments, I went through probably, I don't know, 100 or 200. Do you know what 99% of the comments in this specific video was uh, was on there with the guy for an hour and a half calling me a false teacher? The Almost every comment was, oh man, he talks so loud and fast. 90 plus percent of the comments I read that people were in the comments were claiming I was false teachers because I talked too loud and too fast. Welcome to 2020, where now excitement is a sin. Where talking fast is a sin. Where shouting is a sin. We're being, and you know, the same people, here's what blows my mind, that are talk very calm and are afraid of people that shout, are afraid of people that talk fast, are excited, that call people that are excited false teachers for talking loud and fast they will go mental at the UFC fight they will lose their mind when they're watching the football game they'll scream Rah! go run the field you're you're yelling about grown men wearing tight pants chasing a piece of pigskin let's just remember what you're screaming for yet you'll go on YouTube and say I'm a false teacher so I should just talk louder because I'm excited about and, and, then, and then let me just say this okay before I get off my soapbox I was an atheist do you really think I care about what, you, what some dead Christians think? I was an atheist minding my own business and God told me to go preach. So I'm not sitting going like, oh man, these guys think I'm a false teacher. I'm crying in the, my office. I could care less. I was literally an atheist when God called me. I was out there drinking and partying. I didn't join the church going, I hope they're going to like me. I hope nobody's afraid of me shouting and me being excited and me being passionate. I literally couldn't care less. It was God that came to me. So yes, I'm a slave of God. Yes, I'm excited and I won't apologize. And you shouldn't either. Why do you apologize for your excitement for God? You're at church like, oh, no, I wonder what people are going to think. Who cares? Has God redeemed you? Has God set you free? Has God, come on, where are you in the chat? Give me some type of emoji or something. Has God empowered you? Then keep moving. Keep shouting. Paul said, you gave your bodies as slaves to unrighteousness. Now give them as slaves to righteousness. The same way you shouted before. Don't be a boring Christian. Don't be boring. God's not boring like you. There's passion. There's a reason why God said to the prophet, go shout this message. Shout it. Don't be quiet about it. Wake up the church. Friend, if you didn't know, the church is sleeping. And guys, I've preached in 500 of them. So I'm, I think I have the liberty to say this. The church is sleeping. And you don't wake up a sleeping church by, oh, well, brother, I think we should. 
Shout, wake them up. The angel smacked Peter, the Bible says. Some of you need to get smacked. All right, praise the Lord. Ephesians, sometimes I just got to go off on a rant here, okay? If you don't like it, praise the Lord. There's plenty of other channels on YouTube that you can go watch. And no one's, no one's holding you hostage. Nobody's making you stay. Some of you act like you have to be here. Like, oh man, someone's going to make, I have to, I can't stop watching. Come on, pray, get excited. Shout a little bit. Okay, if it offends you, oh well. If it offends you, oh well. I'm, I'm offended that you can shout at the UFC, the football game, about some dumb team or some dumb football game or some dumb soccer game, something that has literally no value in eternity, but you're, you're shocked that people are excited about God. Ephesians 3, 7 through 9, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace, look at what Paul says, of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints. So this is what Paul has to say about himself. He says, I'm the less of the least of all the saints. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make to see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. Paul says this, he reveals he was called by grace. He said this in Romans 15, 18. When he wrote to the Christians at Rome, he said, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and in deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Paul says, it was by the grace of God. I won't even speak about the things that God has not called me to speak about. I was the least of all the saints, but remember it was according to the grace that was given. This is how I was called by God by grace i didn't try i didn't earn it god gave me this is paul god gave me this calling to this day paul says i didn't strive for it i can care less paul says this about all the religious people calling paul false paul said i don't care what you guys think he said if i was worried about what all the pharisees thought about me i wouldn't be a slave of god how could i be christian and still worry about what the religious people think that's what paul said he says it was by grace i was the least of all and god called me friend let me make this statement. 500 people were at the altar around approximately the night I got saved. I was an atheist, okay? In my mind, I was an atheist, which I don't even think is a real thing, but I, I called my, I thought I was that. I was at the altar with 500 other kids that have some of them in Bible college, some of them there for the, whatever. I was the least of all of them at the altar. There were kids there that had been in church praying, crying for God, let me use me, God call me. Why did God call me? Why did God anoint me that day? Why did God say, Isaiah, I'm going to use you to preach to the nations. I'm going to raise you up. You're going to travel. You're going to start a revival. You're going to do this, do that. Why? I'll tell you why. The grace of God. Was it something I earned? Nope. Was it something special I did? Nope. Is it something special that I have that I'm greater than everybody else? And God has given me this, all these followers. Absolutely not. I'll tell you what it was. It was by grace. It was because of grace and it was only grace. And I am, I do, I do consider myself still the least of them. I do. I look at guys that I believe are a hundred times more gifted, a thousand times better speakers, way better revelation. Now you might not think that. Thank you. Praise the Lord. I'm glad. Thank you. I'm glad you think I'm a great speaker. I'm eloquent. Whatever you think about me, but I honestly still look at myself as the least of these. I still look at myself as weak. I still look at myself as broken. I still look at myself as a slave of God, a prisoner of Christ. And I'm reminded daily that is only by grace. The fact that we reached last month, and I will boast in Christ, as Paul said, 25 million people last month we reached views with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How did we reach 25 million? By the grace of God. I am the least of these. It is only by grace. There's not a day that goes by where I don't feel like I'm going to wake up from a dream because God's mysterious 
grace, unsearchable grace, which I'll talk to you about unsearchable in a second, changed my life, saved me, called me, anointed me, and is using me for such a time as this. So let us not think we're high and mighty. And that's to all the preachers listening right now. Let us not think that we're high and mighty and we have something that other people don't have and that we are elite. The only difference between me and some of you is I said yes to God. That's it. The grace of God has carried me. The grace of God has empowered me. Do we work? Of course we work. Do we labor? Of course. I've given my whole life. I'm obsessed with serving God. I'm obsessed with his presence. I'm obsessed with preaching the gospel. I'm obsessed with all things reaching people for the kingdom. I don't play games. I'm not a joke. I don't joke about this. This is not a game to me. I'm very serious about all things God. There's no joking matter. We have fun before the broadcast. We joke. We have fun after we hang out. We do voice changers, all that. When it comes to preaching the gospel, I'm telling you right now, you will not find somebody that's more serious, that's more real about it. I do not play games. This is my life. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I have no other purpose. I have nothing else to live for. I want God. It's all I think about. It's all I care about. It's what I'm living my life for. Everything else is an amazing bonus. Thank you, Lord. But let our let our focus be solely on the purpose of God and the grace of God. Now, Paul uses the word unsearchable, and the Greek conveys the idea that something is not capable of being traced by footprints. So if you're walking along the seashore and you're not making any footprints, someone came to search for you, they could not find you. In the same way, the full benefits of knowing Christ could never truly be searched for or found. If you discovered all the benefits of Christ, there would be a thousand more. So we're on this journey searching for the nature of God, the beauty of God, the holiness of God, the awe, the wonder, the majesty, the glory, the power, the knowledge, the wisdom, all that is God. And we're searching and it's unsearchable. Friend, his power is unsearchable. You can't track it down. You can't come to a place of completeness where you say, I've arrived at the grace of God You'll never get there. There's always more to be discovered. Just when you think you found him, there's more to be discovered. Now, a huge part of humility is having the spirit of gratitude in the mindset of, I don't deserve this wonderful privilege, but I'm grateful God gave it to me. Paul was grateful that he was allowed to speak of God's mercy, God's love, and bring the message to the Gentile. He didn't think he deserved it. He makes it clear, I've been given the special task, and here's why God chose me grace. If you ever look at somebody like a Reinhard Bonnke or somebody great in the kingdom of God, and you think about why did God cho choose that person? It's always grace. That's, that's the beauty. That's so this is what it means. Here's why it matters to all of you watching in the chat. If you get the revelation that God calls people because of grace, then you will not be a thousand miles away from reaching your destiny. You might look at Isaiah and say, I'll never be talented like Isaiah or gifted or this or speak the way or be able to do this or that. You may look at that and see what I'm doing as unreachable. Here's the beauty of grace is it's not unreachable because I didn't earn it. You don't have to earn it. We seek God and God gives us because of grace. Now, Paul said this though, let me contrast what I'm saying by saying this, the grace wasn't in vain. So that means this, when God called me and God chose me and I received the grace, I didn't sit on the couch. I don't Guys, I don't sit around going like, well, you know, my lights and my cameras and my studio and my algorithm and my thumbnails and my video editing is just going to happen. You don't sit on the couch thinking, oh yes, I could just sit around and God's going to upload my content. No, none of that is. God's given me grace and the grace he gave me wasn't in vain because I'm doing what he said to do. I'm putting in work hours every single day because... 
The grace wasn't in vain. So let me make sure that I'm not painting a picture of you could just sit around in the grace of God. No, the grace of God calls you, it anoints you, it empowers you, but you got to sometimes get off or not sometimes all the time, get off the couch and say, I'm going to also put the work in because I'm not going to let this grace be in vain. Ephesians 3, 10 through 11 to the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God. Okay. So here's why say with me chapter, uh, chapter three, verse 10, 11, the manifold wisdom of God might be known, may be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the idea that God would have Jews and Gentiles in one group being together as the church shows the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers. Instead of them being at odds against each other, they work together now. So now fallen angels, normal angels, see how wise God is when they see us working together, preaching the gospel. Now, this whole plan that God had, the manifold wisdom of God to create the church, put these groups together, was not a last minute idea. God's not like, oh, I just thought of something. We should build a church. No, he knew from the very beginning of the foundations of the earth that he was going to develop through the death of Jesus, because remember the lamb was slain before the foundations of the earth, through the death of Jesus on the cross, God was going to develop the church. God doesn't have any decisions, you know, last minute. God is eternally minded. He's known these things since the beginning of time. And they might be a surprise to us, but they're not a surprise to God. So God's wisdom is being made known by the church to the principalities as we preach the gospel. When I'm preaching the gospel in a church, I'm not just preaching to the people there. I'm making known the wisdom of God to powers and principalities. You don't think demons and principalities and powers listen to what we're saying and hear our preaching? Friend, we are changing mindsets. If you don't know what a principality is, a principality, these are fallen angels over nations, angels over regions. Satan assigns his fallen angels over regions and nations. Paul talks about principalities as fallen angels in Ephesians 6. Daniel 10 talks about the principality over the, the region of Persia. Now they're called principalities because they are a prince. It's prince over pelities, which is territories or regions. And back in those days, the princes were above the kings. So now it's a king, then a prince. Back then in Daniel's day in Daniel 10, it was a prince, then it was a king. So principalities are real demonic spirits, high-ranking demons that work in heavenly places. I won't go into, are they in the second heaven? I'm not getting into all that. They're in heavenly places calling shots, okay? So principalities, they command lower-ranking demons to work inside people, to work inside things, and they are controlling largely cities, countries, and nations, okay? These angels run countries by influencing laws that create principles which change how people live. So these principalities are principle changers. They get into education and they put principles in books to get the young people to believe certain things that are anti-God. The principalities, these high-ranking demons, they get into media to make us think a certain way. They get into music to change the way we think and how we live. These are principalities that change principles. Remember this. Demons love to change principles. We live by principles. If you're going to go do something, you say, well, that's wrong to do because my principles, I've been taught that I shouldn't do this. And my principles teach me that. The Bible teaches us godly principles. The same way the Bible teaches principles, the media teaches principles. Movies teach principles. Uh, books teach principles. Schools teach principles. And this is how the principalities work. Let me give you an example. Many of you 
would never commit adultery. You would not commit adultery, but you will watch you will watch adultery. Why is adultery so popular in movies right now? Why is every Tyler Perry movie that you guys love to watch, many of you, uh, so popular with adultery? Because principalities change principles and they change the way that we think about adultery. So now because the movies say adultery is not that big of a deal, the culture says adultery is not that big of a deal. So the principalities are changing principles. You guys don't realize that demons are controlling society. The devil is the God of this world. You think the culture knows the devil's using them? Of course not. You think now some celebrities do, but you think for the most part, people realize the devil's using them. In fact, the devil was using Judas and Judas didn't even know it. And he was an apostle, the Bible says. And Satan and Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You're letting, even Peter, you're letting the devil use you. So if the devil's using Peter, if the devil's using Judas, you don't think the devil can use secular companies? You don't think that, oh, I'm preaching strong tonight. Let me get a one in the chat if you're with me. You don't think the devil can use teachers? You don't think the devil's using the L, B, G, D, every letter community to en enact principles, to sexualize our children and to groom our children? Of course not. Now, would you would you engage in witchcraft? Many of you, come on, would you? No, you wouldn't, but you'll watch witchcraft all these demons have normalized magic, normalized witchcraft. They put magic and witchcraft in kids' movies. They call it Disney, and you have no problem with it. So they're changing. I'm preaching strong. They're changing the principles of culture, and the principalities are doing it. And we just turn a blind eye and say, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just witchcraft. You wouldn't do it, but you watch it. You make decisions and your life is governed by principles, what you believe. Ephesians 2.2 says, In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air. This is Ephesians 2.2. The ruler, the ruler, that's the devil, of the kingdom of the air. What? There's a kingdom of the air? Yes. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Paul is saying you used to follow the laws and the principles, here we go, of this world who were set, who set the principles of this world? The ruler of the kingdom of the air, who is Satan. Principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, thrones, dominions. Above our head is thousands of principalities and demons changing laws. Meanwhile, we play church. I don't understand this. Principalities and demons and powers ruling in the air, controlling the world, going after the church, and we're busy trying to find out who's a false teacher and who's not. Why don't we go fight the devil instead of each other? We're like the only ones that love friendly fire. I don't understand this. Look at my shirt. Stronghold destroyer. I'm not trying to destroy other Christians. I'm trying to destroy strongholds. I'm going to war. You are in a battle. Let me prove this one last time to you guys. Meanwhile, we play church while they're running the nation. Let me show you this. Look at the laws right now compared to 50 years ago. Okay? Look at the laws. With every, I wouldn't even go into it because I'll get demonetized. Everything you can think of has changed the laws. You can go to the beach and see the laws have changed. You can go to the movies and see the laws have changed. You can go to the mall and see things are different from 50 years ago. Why? Because principles have changed. The last 50 years, principalities have been at work. And trust me, this whole video I just came out with about pedophiles being considered normal now. What, what do you think that is, friend? You don't think that's principalities? You don't think that's demons? You don't think demons are controlling uh, language and controlling what we're getting taught? They're now saying pedophiles are normal and okay and you shouldn't... No. They said don't vilify pedophiles. V pedophiles are villains. 
They are criminals. So yes, we vilify them. We're not changing that. Uh, we have to push back against these principalities because these are demons controlling people. And the church, the Bible says, preaches to those principalities. We make God known to them and display his power. So when I'm teaching you, I'm not just teaching you, I'm also teaching and preaching to principalities and powers and coming against them while I preach. We're coming against their assignments. Now, I don't think we're supposed to try to go up in the second heaven and fight them because the Bible doesn't command us to go up and try to bind them. We fight. Our jurisdiction is casting demons out of people. That's your job as a Christian. You cast demons out of people. Your job is not to try to pray to go into the second heaven and fight principalities. You fight them indirectly by fighting low-ranking demonic spirits of living people. Jesus did not say, go into Rome and fight the, and, you know, bind principalities. Jesus did not say, Peter, I want you to go into Jerusalem and bind principalities. No, they were not doing that. They were going and casting demons out of people, therefore weakening principalities. So that is our job. So no, I don't believe in projecting into the second heaven and trying to fight principalities. I would trust me, stay out of the second heaven. It's not a place that you want to play around and mess with. Do not try to go against principalities because you don't have the jurisdiction. I have a video on that on the channel, but that's principalities. Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness, look at this, and access with confidence through faith in him. This is incredible. This is what Paul's saying. We have boldness and access to God. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So imagine if you had a meeting with a president or a king or someone really influential or some celebrity you look up to. You would feel timid. You would feel nervous. But Paul says, you can come to creator God. You can go to the creator of the universe. Nobody's higher than God. He's the very, very top, top, top. And guess how you can go to him? With boldness and with confidence. My kids are not afraid of approaching me. And in the same way, children of God should not be afraid of approaching God and making our requests known. Somebody get excited. I could boldly come to God. Oh God, you don't have to be afraid and, and shivering and limping to God. You can boldly come as sons and daughters of God and make your requests known. That's amazing in Jesus' name. Ephesians 3.13. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. This is Paul's concern. Paul's concerned that they're going to grow discouraged in their faith because they're looking at what's happening to Paul and he's preaching Christ. And the, the believers are saying, man, if Paul's locked up and in prison for preaching, what, where's that going to leave us? And they're discouraged by it. So Paul is saying, do not lose heart at my tribulations. So even though I'm being persecuted, there will be glorious results, Paul says, okay? One commentator said, his suffering was no reason for sadness. It helped accomplish God's plan. Though Paul's suffering, the Ephesian believers gain glory. That is, they're led to know Christ more intimately and experience salvation more fully. So it's a weird concept that Paul's suffering brought glory to the church in Ephesus. But this is what Paul is saying. Ephesians 3, 14 through 15. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So Paul is going to transition now. I'm taking way too long going through this. I need to go faster. Paul is going to transition now from the mystery of God creating his church to praying for the believers in Ephesus. I personally want to look at every time Jesus prayed and Paul prayed and look at what they were praying for. Like, what did Paul pray about? What, have you ever wanted to glimpse into Jesus's prayer, John 17, and go, what did Jesus pray about? What did Paul pray about? What were the things that were on their heart? So Paul is going to transition now into what he was praying for. And the Bible says he got on his knees for prayer. The position of our body says something. 
It's It matters. When you're on your knees, when you're on your face, there's times where you need to get on your knees because you're saying something to God. Getting on your knees is an act of humility. And I want to ask some of you in the chat because you know we like to ask questions and not just say, oh, this is a great word. When's the last time you got on your knees and prayed? Can you remember? Can Come on, there's 2,700 of you. Can you remember the last time you got on your knees before God and humbled yourself and said, God, I need you to change me. I need you to deliver me. I need you to heal me. I need to humble myself. I'm arrogant. I'm proud. I'm lazy. I'm carnal. I'm lukewarm. I'm getting on my knees humbling right now and saying, Lord. And a lot of you are saying this afternoon, this morning, tonight, praise the Lord. And there's no condemnation for you. If, it, if you can't remember, then tonight, get on your knees before bed. Before bed, make it a habit. Just get on your knees real quick. God, I humble myself. I do that before my broadcast. I get on my knees. Lord, I need you before I get up and preach. I get on my knees. Lord, I need you. I'm at my hotel. I just did this just at my hotel before I got up to preach. Got on my knees and spent some time. Lord, humble me. I can't do this. Lord, these people did not come for me. They came for you. Lord, these people are hungry not to see me, but to see you. God, I'm unworthy. I don't have what it takes. I have nothing to tell them. Lord, this is my prayers. Lord, I need you to fill my mouth. Lord, I need you to show up. I'm nothing without your spirit. I'm nothing without your presence. God, this is my prayers. God, never let me let it get to my head. Never let me think I'm something that I'm not. Never let me buy the press, Father. I'm, I humble, I, I say these things to God. Lord, help me. I need you, Lord, as I'm on my knees praying. And it's just that act of humility to bow down, to get on your knees. And this is Paul's prayer, Ephesians 3, 16 through 17, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened that he, that with that, excuse me, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul's prayer is a tongue twister here, that they would be strengthened with might, that through God's spirit, their inner man would be strengthened. So we need strength in our inner man, and only God's spirit can give you the strength you need. You will not survive these last days without the strength that God wants to give you in your inner man. The strength of the inner man is something that you need, something that we all should be desperate of. Paul is saying you need spiritual strength. Now, some of you tonight are strong in the natural, but you're weak in the spiritual. Spiritually weak people, they doubt more than they believe. Spiritually weak people, they scoff at spiritual things and they rationalize everything. Spiritually weak people are ashamed of sharing the gospel. Spiritually weak people think Christianity is a Sunday morning experience and not a lifestyle. But when you're strong in the spirit, spiritually, natural circumstances don't discourage you. You see beyond what meets the normal eye. You understand that there's an invisible realm at work and your focus goes towards praying and fasting and things that change the spiritual realm. Prayer, friend, is working out in the spirit. Fasting is working out in the spirit. Reading the Bible is spiritual exercise. Godly fellowship is working out in the spirit. Listening to godly messages is working out in the spirit. We cannot expect to be in shape when we work out for an hour on Sunday morning. Like, come on, guys. How strong is your spirit, man? Now, I want you guys to look at my wrist here. I'm skinny, okay? I'm very, very skinny. So I might not be ripped or what do they call it jacked buff uh what do you guys say i don't even know what it's called in the in the natural realm but i'm ripped in the spirit i have a i for sure have a spiritual six pack somebody help me in the chat for sure i'm a heavyweight in the spirit realm because i know i know why i am because i've been working out i've been every single day bench pressing in the spirit 
doing squat and the spirit. Come on, somebody. I don't even know what these little exercises are called. Doing cur curling, curling thing, barbells, is that what they're called? In the spirit. I've been working out spiritually. So Paul says, look, training for godly, for physical training is good. It's not bad. If you work out, praise the Lord. I need to get, I have a membership, but I haven't gone. I need to go, okay? But he says, training for godliness is even better. So we need to not be just in shape. And some of you are great. I'm glad you should be. That's good. Great. Awesome. There's nothing wrong with being in shape, but be that obsessed about your spirit man too. So Paul says, great, be in shape physically, but what about your spirit man? What about training for godliness? Do you train for godliness? Do you exercise spiritually? And some of you, you just go an hour on Sunday morning. If I went to the gym one hour once a week, do you think I'm going to get all sh like shredded in, in a month or six months or a year? No, I'll go three, four, five years and still not even probably look hardly different because one hour once a week is not going to do, it might help a little bit, but it's not going to do anything. I mean, you go to the gym, okay, you burn in an hour. How much calories can you burn in an hour? Not a lot, not a lot. Like say, I don't know, 500, if you're lucky on the highest setting with the most resistance, and then you go, you get done and you go through Starbucks and get your, you know, your caramel frappuccino, extra caramel, and that's 1500 calories. And you just burned in one frappuccino your entire hour. Somebody, how many calories? Somebody in an hour. Come on. Where are you gym people? Where's all my CrossFitters? In one hour, you just drank a, a, a cappuccino or a frappuccino and you just doubled your calories that you burned for an hour. And that's how some of you are at church. You go one hour and then the next day you live just like the world and you just completely ruined everything that you did and the exercise you did, 100, 150 calories. Someone said maybe 500, I'm getting scared now. 500 calories, 330 minutes. Okay, so say 500 calories you burned in an hour and you're gonna go eat one, drink one frappuccino. Oh, 200 calories per hour. I don't know what's going on here. 230, all right, let's say 230. And you drank a frappuccino, which is a thousand. Okay, whatever, 800, 600, it's insane. And this is what we do at church. We go to church, we work out for one hour, once a week, and then we get in the mirror and start flexing, going, why am I so weak spiritually? Why do I never lay hands on people? Why do I never disciple people? Why do I never preach the gospel? Why do I never do anything? I'm like, well, because you're out of shape. You're lazy. You're overweight spiritually. You, let me tell you why. Because you get fed, fed, fed every week, but you don't exercise your faith. So you're spiritually overweight. You're, you're like the 1,000 pound life where your family has to come bring you a large pizza. You get in and get off your couch and you just sit around and oh, give me more teaching, more Bible, more church services. And God is saying, exercise, exercise, exercise your faith. Work out in the spirit. Ephesians 3. So he's saying, be strengthened. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width the length the depth and the height to know the love of christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of god so he says i want you to do a couple things there's a variety of things that paul is praying this is important i want to go fast but i don't want to because it's important okay this is what he says rooted which means to be put in the ground so you can't be dislodged you cannot dislodge me. I've been rooted in Christ. I've been planted in a solid foundation. So it doesn't matter. People discourage me. People try to talk bad about me, make videos about me, try to persecute me, try to call me this or that. If a thousand million comments came in, you can't unpluck me. You can't get me to go back. You can't get me. I'm rooted in Christ. So that's rooted. You're not moved and swayed. You're grounded. That means established like a building that is safe during an earthquake. 
excuse me, a building that's not grounded, that's not settled, that's not established during an earthquake would fall over. So you're not only firmly rooted, but you're grounded so that you can, here's why, comprehend. That means have an idea, be secure, know the things of God, being filled, that means having every part of you occupied, there's no open areas. Every single part of me is occupied. Sorry, devil. There's no space for you. There's no open rooms. There's no place for you to come. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. The demons have gone out. I've been full of the Spirit, and the demons have nowhere to come back and move in. Some of you, it's easy for demons to get back in you because you have 10 rooms open because they're not full of God. But when you get full of God, there's no room. So that is being filled. And these are the things we should pray for. Write this down. These are the things Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus we should be praying for. Lord, I want to be rooted. I want to be grounded. I want to comprehend. I want to be filled. I don't want to live my life unstable all over the place. I, I don't know if you know that. That's maybe breaking news for you. I don't want my life to be unstable. In fact, let me go to here. I'll do this for you. Breaking news. Here we go. Breaking news. God is not unstable. God is not all over the place. God is not bitter. God is not in a bad mood. God is rooted, grounded. He comprehends all, comprehends all, and he wants to fill you tonight. That's the bottom line reality. God is not shaky. He's rooted and planted, and he says, by the Spirit of God. Is that breaking news for some of you? What? God's not in a bad mood like me? God's not unstable like me? God's not bitter and all over the place? No, no. God wants to fill you with his Spirit. That's serious guys then you then you sit around going wow i'm always bitter i'm always in bad mood bad mood i'm never firm but god is so god make me like you god i want to be rooted i want to be grounded i want to comprehend i want to be filled pray that every single day i want this god i need this and then paul uses four words that are used to measure something paul says with Knowing the width, which represents, some say Jesus' arms stretch wide. Some say he was on the cross with his arms stretched wide, saying, look, I'm welcoming everybody. That's literally with whoever believes in me, whoever. No one's left out. Everyone's welcome. Length, which can symbolize how far God is willing to go to reach the unbeliever, to reach the prodigal. Depth could point how deep the love of God is. There's no, there's no depth you can go to that God can't pull you out of. You don't know, brother, how deep I am, how far I am from God. There's no way. Oh, no, no, no. Trust me. God can reach some, some down some deep, deep, dark holes. The Bible says his arm is not weak. His arm is not short. Paul said, uh, Peter, uh, uh, David said, even in my darkest pit, the Lord is there. The Lord reaches, me, reaches uh, out for me. So I want to tell somebody and encourage somebody, and we're going to pray in a little bit here. You're not too far. You're not too deep for God to reach you. God can reach you right now. God can change you right now. God can deliver you right now. And this is the, let's, let's go right here. Height. This is the height of God's love. Unlimited. There's no height. There's no, there's no like I've reached my potential. God says the, the love. There's no depth, no length, no height of the love of God. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him, this is God at capital H, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So look at this. I've read this my whole life and go, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think. And that is true. 10 years ago or 12 years ago, if you told me God's going to do this in your life, I wouldn't, I would have thought you're crazy. God has not only done what he said he would do, but he's done exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think. God takes everything we 
think he wants to do and he multiplies it by a thousand. But here's what I never realized. Look at the next sentence here or after the comma. So he does above all we could ask or think comma according to the power that works in us. So God will do it according to the power that's working in us. We play a part in this. God wants to do something beyond your wildest imagination. But friend, here's what I have to tell you. You have to play your part. You can't just sit around thinking, well, God's just going to do it if God's going to do it. And you know, I could just sit around on the couch all day. No, God says, I want to do something beyond your wildest imagination, but you have to partner with me. It's according to the power that works in us, not just the power that works in him, but his power is working in us and through us. And we need to actively participate. Do we have time for chapter four? Let's go into chapter four. We won't go long here. Chapter four, we got to get through two chapters a week. I can't just do one. You guys got time. Type one if I can go into chapter four. Ephesians four, uh, chapter four, verse one. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. So Paul says, worthy, this is what he means, equal weight. So if God has given you a measure of something, of grace, of power, of love, of mercy, of calling, live like that live a life worthy of your calling paul is begging them please don't live below the standard that god has called you to if you look at this incredible calling god has for you and you look at your life right now are you living a life worthy of the calling like does your life right now match the weight of the calling if you look at all that you know god has for you and then you look at your calling right now are those matching no no god i need i need you I'm not living a life worthy. I, I even feel, okay? Now I don't want to make you feel bad and be like, man, if Isaiah's not, I surely aren't. I'm not living a life worthy of my calling. There's so many areas that I can change and so many things I can do and so many so much more that I can give for God. And I'm, I know the weight of what God has given me. Now, I want you to remember, we've all been given talents. We've all been given something. Talents means weight. So some have been given five, some have been given two, some have been given one. Maybe you've been given five. Maybe you've been given one. The Bible does not say everyone equally has the same talents. That is not what the Bible teaches. I know that's what woke culture says. We're all the same. We're all equal. That's not what the Bible says. Some get five talents. Some have more. Some have less. Some can't even handle the one talent, so they bury it. Some have five, and they multiply it to five more. The bottom line is God has given us a weight, and my goal is to match my life with the calling that God has given me. So until then, I'm pursuing this to walk worthy of the calling. Now, I will say this, I am so far from where I wanna be, but I will say this, I'm not where I was a few years ago. I am trying to match my life with the level of calling God has given me. Just, I don't know, was it last, when, when did I start doing verse by verse? When I started doing verse by verse, was it book of Revelation? Yeah, and I was like uncomfortable going out on a limb. I've never taught verse by verse in my life. And I was like, man, this is stretching me. I have grown, and I hope you have too, and you can let me know in the comments, I'd appreciate that, tremendously by doing verse by verse. Not only because I'm teaching it, but obviously I have to learn it before I teach it. I have grown 10X in the last year, two years of doing all the social media, preaching, everything I'm doing, then even the 10 years before I was senior pastoring and traveling full-time. If you didn't know, that's what I did the 10 years prior to being online for almost three years now, two and a half years. I've grown tremendously. So I'm trying to get my life in that level where it's worthy of the calling, but there's so much more I want to do. So I'm trying to match my life with the level of calling God has given me. So you might not be where you want to be. You might not be in the place you want to be, but look at you. Just stop real quick. Let's just look at you. You're not where you used to be. Think about where you were just a few months ago, a few years ago. 
just a week ago when you were out partying and now you're saved? Just six months ago, you would have never been in here. And now here you are learning the Bible. So be excited about that. We all have different levels of calling, but just keep trying to live a life worthy of your calling. Don't measure your life against culture. Don't measure your life against the lukewarm church you go to. Measure them up, it up to God's standard. Ephesians 4, 2 through 3. With all low, lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring, endeavor, endeavoring, ugh, to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Talk about difficult assignments. This is what Paul says we should do. Be low, be gentle, and have long suffering. This is the opposite of natural tendencies. Natural tendency is focus on self. The whole world is screaming at you. Worry about yourself. Don't worry about other people. Be prideful. Look out for only yourself. Paul goes, no, 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 no. Be lowly, be gentle, and have long suffering. That's the Christian way. We don't slander other people. We don't bear false witness against other unbelievers, against other preachers, against other believers. We live peaceful, gentle, humble lives, and we live lowly. Paul says this, look at this in Philippians 2, 3, 3. This is the perfect example of humility if you've ever wondered. Let nothing be done through selfish ambitions or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each other, let each esteem others better than himself. That's humility. Other people are esteemed above me. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That is true humility. Humbling myself, he says, even to the point of death, Jesus, God. Let me make this clear. Maybe you're new here. I believe, and this is orthodox theology, that God is a hundred. Jesus was a hundred percent man and 100% God. Some people say, well, he gave up his divinity. No, he didn't. He gave up divine privileges, the Bible says, but not his divinity. Jesus was always God on earth. The whole time he was on the earth, he was still fully God, but he gave up divine privileges, walked as a man and humbled himself so that he can show and model the humble life. Jesus is true humility. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, oh, this is good. Some of you aren't going to like this. Some of you love denominations. You won't like this. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So Paul uses the word one to describe multiple concepts. Let's be clear. Write this in the chat. Okay, get ready to type this. Christ is coming back for a bride, not brides. Jesus is not coming back for the brides of Christ. He's coming back for the bride of Christ. God has never endorsed polygamy. Contrary to popular belief, God does not endorse polygamy. There's nowhere in the Bible where God was okay with polygamy, and he's not going to come back and marry multiple brides. One body, that's what all believers belong to. One spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. One hope, that's the hope that one day we're going to die and be with Christ forever. One Lord, the Lord is Jesus, the head of the church. One faith, one baptism, not just that's water baptism and spirit, also baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's no, there's no like baptisms in another religion. There's one, one baptism into Christianity, into following Christ. 
and one God and Father. So one God expressed through the Trinity by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which I'll do a video on soon. So let us be clear. Are we clear? One way, one true God, one hope, one Lord, one body, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And the reason why Paul is saying this, because in Paul's day, they believed in a pantheon of gods. They had thousands of gods. So Paul is contrasting saying, no, there's only one God. There's not multiple gods. In the midst of all of your false gods, there's only true one true living God. Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. But to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth he who descended is also the one who ascended above the heavens that he might fill all things. So Paul is using an analogy of something that was common in Roman and Greek experience. When a military or a person in authority was victorious in battle, he would reward those that helped him with gifts. In other instances, the victor was given gifts by others as spoils of war. In the same way, Jesus was victorious by delivering sinful men from the bondage of death, and he takes redeemed people and gives them as gifts to the church. So the fivefold ministry, which I'm about to talk about, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, the Bible says those are gifts. Jesus has defeated death and given gifts to the body of Christ. Now, there is much debate on this, heavily debate on this. Some people say the lower parts of the earth was Christ's burial in the grave in the dirt. Others say Jesus went to hell for three days. Some believe these verses refer to Jesus descending from heaven, becoming a man, a man then ascending back to heaven now i will do an entire video on this because i don't have time to go into it on what i believe but those are the three common theologies okay some say he went to hell some say he was just buried in the dirt that's the lower part of the earth some people say he came to earth that was him being buried in the earth and then he went back to heaven and ascended those are the basic three but here's the clear thing whether you're one of those three here's what's clear jesus defeated death hell and the grave and gave us the gift of eternal life that's the salvific issue. That means that's what saves. That's what matters is what Jesus did. The other things that did he go to hell? Did he just ascend here? Did he go into the dirt? Those are not saving issues. Those are secondary issues that we can talk about. But the issue is Jesus definitely defeated death, hell, and the grave and gave us the gift of eternal life. Okay, look at what he gave us. Also, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Look at this. I love this. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For, here's what they're for, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to be a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Christ gives fivefold ministry, not to entertain the saints, but to equip the saints, equip the saints and there's no verse in the entire bible where christ has stopped giving these fivefold ministries there's nowhere in the bible that says we don't need prophets we don't need apostles we don't need evangelists let me make something clear if you don't know where i stand sadly in america we teach you know there's pastors and teachers but we don't really need evangelists we don't need we for sure don't believe in apostles and prophets in america and the idea that they have ceased or they're gone is false doctrine period let me make this so clear so you're not wondering, where does Isaiah stand? The idea that there's no more, God does not call prophets, God does not call apostles, or God does not call evangelists anymore is unscriptural and it is false doctrine. It's not in the Bible. There's no verse in the entire Bible. There's nowhere you could even try to make it seem. That's why even the whole cessationist, cessationist argument is not a debate. 
Go watch any cessationist debate and you'll never come out saying, oh, maybe I'll be a cessationist because there's nowhere in the Bible that says the offices have ceased or the gifts have ceased. The purpose of these ministries is to edify the saints. So, so cessationism is a false doctrine, period. Anyone that says the gifts have ceased is a false doctrine. They're, they've not ceased. If he, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, it's very clear they're still here and we are called not only just to know about them, but to pursue them. The Bible says earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So if you're telling me they've ceased and telling me I shouldn't pursue them, you are teaching false doctrine. Now, I'm not going to say you're a false teacher or a false prophet because I don't know you. But I will say cessationism is a false doctrine. And I would never in a thousand years go to a cessationist church, period. Like if I'm, if you're wondering, should I leave my cessationist church? Yeah, you should never be a part of a church that teaches against what the Bible teaches. So yes, the gifts are still for today. And yes, the offices are for today. There's nowhere you could, oh, well, this or that. No, don't try to twist it up. Don't, the Bible's not a pretzel. Don't try to make it and twist it up and do, and do theological gymnastics. The Bible makes it clear these are gifts that God has given us and they're for the equipping, not the entertaining, the equipping of the saints for the edification of the church. They're not to be superstars. They're not to be, you know, uh, showing off and we're prophets, we're apostles, we show off. They're to edify the body of Christ. Look at this, Ephesians 4.14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Paul is saying, because the fivefold ministry has edified and trained us, we don't, we're not like kids. We don't believe everything we hear. A kid will believe everything he hears. We don't believe everything we hear because we've been trained. We've been equipped. So every time a new doctrine comes out, we don't fall for it. Ephesians 4, 15 through 19. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head of head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, okay? In the futility of mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance, because of their blindness of heart, who being past filling have given themselves over to lewdness to work in cleanliness and greediness, okay? So Paul is saying, speak truth in love. We don't need to try to offend or be harsh on people. Speak the truth in love. And Paul wants every Christian to keep growing in their faith, not returning to the way they used to live before Christ. That's the thing. Paul says, don't go back. Don't go back to how you were before. Somebody in the chat needs to thank God that they're not like the way they used to be, that their old man is dead. And this is Paul is saying, before our understanding was darkened, we were alienated from the life of God. We were ignorant. We were blind in our hearts. We were given over to lewdness and we worked in uncleanliness and greediness. That is, that is you and me, friend, before we were saved. And Paul says, do not go back to that darkness in your mind and futility and uncleanliness. Now that you're children of light, you're grown up, you move forward. Thank you, Jesus. Type that in the chat. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm no longer, I was all those things. I was ignorant. I was alienated from the life of God. My understanding was darkened for sure. I was blind in my heart. I was given over to lewdness and uncleanliness and greediness. But look at what God has done. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you've heard him and have taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus that you put off, you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. So Paul says, put off the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which creating according to God in truth, true righteousness and holiness. So he's speaking of 
um, the verbiage is clothing. Paul is saying, we all care about what we wear and what you wear says a lot about you. So he says, what is your soul wearing? Is your soul dressed in anger? Is your soul dressed in worry? Are you wearing fear or sin or sadness? If that's what you're wearing, then you're not a good representative of Christ. We don't look any different from the world if we're wearing anxiety, if our soul is wearing depression. But instead, Paul says, put off that old man, which was anxiety, depression, fear, anger, racism, bitterness, all that stuff, and put on Christ, which is patience, love, uh, desperation for God, peace, joy, fulfillment, passion. So what are we wearing? What are you wearing shame? If, if you walk around always depressed, why would the world want to be that? No, take it off. Take off anxiety, take off depression, take off lewdness, take off sexual immorality, take off shame and put on the armor of God. Put on your new man. This is what God is offering you. Ephesians 4, 25, we're almost done. Through 27, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath and do not give place to the devil. So that means it's possible to be angry, but not to sin. So it's one thing to be angry because the devil has an agenda for our kids and culture. It's another thing to be angry because your spouse didn't do something you wanted her to do. Do you guys get that? The first one is a holy anger. The second one is a sinful anger. You should not be angry because your wife didn't do exactly what you wanted her to do. That's an ungodly anger versus a godly anger. What Paul is saying, deal with unresolved issues before you go to bed. If you go to bed, everybody look at the screen. If you go to bed with unresolved anger with your spouse or with your whatever, you go to bed with two people in the bed and you wake up with three people in the bed. Because this is what Paul says. You give place for the devil. You give him a spot, literally, when you have anger, if you, if you have a healthy marriage, how many of you have ever been up till one or two in the morning, tossing and turning, both of you awake, husband and wife, both awake. We should talk knowing you need to talk. I've had those 2 AMs where we're talking, let's get this worked out. Cause there's been anger between us. There's been unresolved things between us. Let's deal with it before the sun goes down. Let's not let night pass on our wrath. So deal with whatever anger. And you know, this is true. Cause when you wake up, it's worse. It doesn't get better because you slept on it. It just festers and you give room for the devil. Look at what the NLT says. If you don't get this, look at this. Do not let sin. I'm sorry. Let me, let me rephrase it. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still anger. Look at verse 27. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. So anger gives the devil a place in your marriage bed and in your life. If you let the sun go down on your anger. So deal with it tonight. That, that should be your motto. Deal with it tonight. Ephesians 4, 28 through 30. Let him who, who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good. And may he have something to give who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Well, that's a word. But what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, which whom you were sealed by the day of redemption. So do your words, ask yourself this question, impart grace to people, or do your words grieve the Holy Spirit? Because if you're letting corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, you are grieving the spirit of Almighty God. What you say matters. How we talk matters. What you say either grieves the Holy Spirit or it blesses the Holy Spirit. So don't think dirty talking, coarse jokes, all that don't matter. They do matter to God and we need to be careful what comes. And I'm preaching to myself. I'm literally convicting myself here. 
What we say matters to God. Let only clean things that edify others and impart grace to people come out of our mouth. We're done here. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Let all, are you guys ready? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, so what are those things? Let's go quick. Bitterness is allowing anger to fester and continue. When you're bitter, you're angry, you have unforgiveness. Paul says, don't be bitter. So I'm going to go bold here and say this. If you're a Christian, you're not allowed to be bitter. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? You're not allowed to be bitter. If you're a Christian, you're not allowed to be, you're not allowed to let anger fester. You're not allowed to have unforgiveness towards people. You're not allowed to have wrath. What's wrath? It's a quick response of anger or extreme anger. So you're also not allowed to have wrath. That's Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. You're not allowed to have wrath. When you get mad easily, you respond to anger. You have a short, I just have a short fuse. You're not allowed to put it away. Put it away. This is what the Bible says. Put it all away. I'm telling you tonight, put it away. Anger. That's anger that's become a habit. You're always angry. You're not allowed to anymore. Okay, that's three. Four, clamor. What's clamor? It's shouting at people. Not the way I'm preaching shouting. It's yelling all the time, being mad on edge. Every reunion, every party, every event, every time you get to, you're yelling at everybody, you're getting a fight. That's clamor. You're that person. Nope. Number four, put that away. No, Sorry. Sorry, you're not allowed to do that anymore. You can't have any clamor. Stop yelling at everybody. Number five, evil speaking. Woo! No more insulting everybody. Well, I'm just joking. Don't matter. You're not allowed to speak evil about people. Being a false witness, lying on people, which by the way, there's a lot of YouTubers out there making videos straight up lying on me. That's speaking evil. It's evil speaking. You're not allowed to speak evil about people as a Christian. No, no more. And then last one, malice. You're not allowed to have malice. That's evil plans. Ooh, I wish that person, I can't wait till God gets them. I wish so-and-so at work who did that to me. I can't wait till she loses her job. I can't wait till so-and-so. If only this would be, that's malice. That's evil planning against somebody. Forgive others. And this is what he ends with. Look at this. I love it. Even as God in Christ forgave you, forgive one another, even as Christ forgave you. So what are you going to be done with doing? No more bitterness, no more wrath, no more anger, no more clamor, no more evil, no more malice. You're not allowed to any longer because Christ has set you free. Put it away. Now, don't just wait on, well, one day God's going to take it from me. That's not what Paul said. Paul did not say, let God take it from you. Paul said, put it away. Use self-control. You don't need deliverance. You need discipline. Okay. I just need that demon to be cast out of me. No, you need to discipline and shut your mouth and stop being angry and bitter all the time. Let's pray. Father, we ask you tonight in Jesus' name, Lord, help us. Help us tonight, Lord. Father, we want to serve you like never before. We want to know you. I pray over every single person listening that they would live a life worthy of their calling. No more low-level Christianity. Father, I ask you to take us to new places. Help us, Lord, to put on Christ to take off the old man. Help us, Lord. Come on, chat. To put away bitterness. Some of you need to repent right now. To put away anger. To put away resentment. To put away wrath. To put away clamor. To put away unforgiveness. Lord, wash us, cleanse us, and help us, Lord, to put these things away. We know these things are not of you, and we ask you, Lord, to change us from the inside out. Father, I pray if we have wrath or anger towards anyone, help us resolve it before the sun goes down. We no longer give place to the devil. We no longer give them a space or room. Devil, pack your bags and move out now in Jesus' name. You cannot be in our bed or in our room or in our house any longer. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. I just pray, Lord, right now in Jesus' name.
that you would just bring breakthrough, you'd bring healing, you'd bring deliverance, you'd bring freedom. Maybe you're not saved and you stumble on this broadcast. Now's the day of salvation. Now's the moment for you to get saved. Now's the moment for you to get delivered. How do I get saved, Isaiah? You need to repent. Listen, there's many of you that need to get saved tonight. You need to get born again. It's a real powerful thing. You need to repent of your sin. You need to repent. Repent, turn away. What is repentance? It's saying, Lord, I'm wrong. You're right. And I want to serve you. I want to turn to you. Come on, it's time for you to repent right now in Jesus' name. Father, we repent. Come on, right now, if that's you, just repent. Say, Lord, I need you. I turn from my wicked ways. I turn from all ungodliness. I seek after you. Change my mind. Change my heart. Change my life. Wash me in your precious blood. Restore me. Renew me. Bring breakthrough in my mind. Bring breakthrough in my spirit, Lord. I want to be a new creature. Maybe you've been going to church, but you've never been born again. Ask the Lord right now. Say, Lord, I want to be born again. I want, I turn, I turn, I repent. And I repent, Lord, if there's anything in you, in me, that is not of you. David said, Lord, point out the sin in my life that offends you. Lord, whatever's in me that is not of you, I pray right now you would remove it. Remove it in Jesus' name. Have your way, Father. Have your way, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray healing. I pray, Lord, those that are sick in body, that you would restore. Your word says in Psalms 1 and 3, all sickness, all disease was paid for on that whipping post. Father, I pray right now you'd bring healing power. Right now, be released in Jesus' name. We command bodies to be restored. We command bodies to be healed. We command your body to get in alignment with the word of God. In Jesus' name, be healed right now. Be healed right now. In Jesus' name, cancer must go. Diabetes must go. Blood disease must go. Sickness, disease, Go now in Jesus' name. We pray the healing power of God from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. The healing power of God in Jesus' mighty name. Be released right now. Healing power of God. Be released right now in Jesus' name. I just pray, Lord, you would deliver those that are watching. We command every unclean spirit come up and out right now in Jesus' name. Jesus commanded the spirits up and out. And so the same way he did it, we do it. We command every unclean spirit, come up and out now in Jesus' name. You have no power. You have no strength. You have no authority. The Lord rebukes you. Come out of their bodies and go into the abyss now in Jesus' name. Freedom right now. Freedom in Jesus' name. Deliverance in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. I pray the delivering power of God to be released. I pray breakthrough in Jesus' name. Lord, do what only you can do. Do what only you can do. Have your way right now, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray you bring healing and deliverance right now. Restore minds. Some of you feel like your mind is, can never be restored, never be healed. I pray your mind would be restored right now in Jesus' name. I pray your body would be healed right now in Jesus' name. Power of God be released. Fire of God be released. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Pour out your anointing. Pour out your spirit. Jesus, have your way. Jesus, have your way. Fresh fire, fresh anointing, power of the Holy Spirit, anointing of the Holy Spirit, fire of the Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' name. Do what only you can do, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way. Bless, yes, Lord, I pray revival homes. I pray people would be hungry for prayer, for your word. We thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. We thank you for your blood. We never take it for granted, Lord. We humble ourselves tonight. We know that it's all about you and not about us. So tonight, I pray, Lord, that you would just do what only you can do and you would have your way in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. 
What an amazing night. We're not going to get off yet. We will hang out probably for 20 or 30 minutes with the chat. If you want to ask me questions, we'll do Q&A at the end. But I want to give you guys a chance to give. If you don't want to give, then don't give. If you can't give, then don't give. Don't feel bad. Don't feel obligated. Those of you that are able to and can afford to, please pray about sewing in, whether it's monthly or one time. We appreciate it. Appreciate it tremendously. It keeps us able to do this full time. If you don't know, I do this full time and I often give my honorariums back to the church and pay my own way when I go travel. This last trip I just did, I paid my own way and I gave the honorarium back into the church. So this is how we are funding the ministry. This is how we continue on. We appreciate every single one of you giving. If you want to give, you can. The links to give are in the comments or the description. If you're like, oh, I don't want to give money. I don't believe in giving money to preachers. Then don't. Praise the Lord. Then don't. I mean, it's weird how it's okay to give money to your hair hairstylist who you paid $150 to or to the movie theater to watch an ungodly movie, but you're afraid to give money to preachers. I'll never understand that, but it's okay. I don't want to argue with you about it. It's scriptural. We've already given it over and over on the channel about where it at, is at in the Bible. But if you can give and you would like to give and you're cheerful about it, then give. If not, praise the Lord. I'm still glad you're here and you can hang out with us as we do Q&A and we answer questions. Again, the links to give are in the chat, in the comments. If you're listening on audio, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, you can give on isaiasaldivar.com slash partner. If you want to give there, you can. Thank you for listening on audio. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiasaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.